You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Venerable. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. This is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. We bring you uh, your complete cards coverage here on the ROTB pod and join with my co-host, the venerable Johnny Venerable. And uh, we got a special show for you guys today talking about the Cardinals going into this 2021 season. Preseason is now over. The regular season is beginning. We've got a big announcement for you guys as well about the future of this pod that will be at the end of our show today. Uh, but before we get into all of the nitty gritty, John, my co-host, how are you doing as we record here on this Sunday, a day after the Arizona Cardinals were supposed to finish out the preseason? Uh, ultimately, Hurricane Ida was something that uh, essentially turned that flight directly around. Uh, thoughts and prayers to everyone in the New Orleans area. Uh, with that notwithstanding, how are you doing overall, John? I'm doing well, Blake. It's uh, good to be back. It's been a little while since we touched base with everybody. And yeah, the the plans of finalizing the preseason with the Arizona Cardinals have shifted slightly. Uh, they notched two more preseason games than they did, of course, a year ago, Blake, when there was no preseason, thanks to the uh, ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, but I think for the most part, we saw what we needed to see from a lot of the question marks surrounding this team. Uh, I think where a lot of the fan frustration remains is, okay, you know, what's the holdup offensively from Kyler Murray, which of course, Kyler Murray started the 2020 season uh, at an MVP-like pace without having a preseason. And now you get to, let's say, that second preseason game this year against Kansas City, and the Cardinals couldn't pick up a first down. So I think that that's the frustration with a lot of folks. But at the same time, you know, I, I checked a lot of boxes off personally of what I needed to see. Marco Wilson quickly solidifying himself as a factor in the secondary. The Cardinals traded up for the f- fourth round pick out of Florida. And I assumed he'd have a role this year predominantly on special teams. Look like he's going to have some kind of a rotational role in the secondary Right now, he's cornerback four. I think Eno Benjamin is another player where we were anxious to see him a year ago. And what was partially so difficult with that is that, and you're seeing it now, is Eno's one of those individuals that will have an opportunity and does to shine in the preseason. Didn't have that chance a year ago. Was inactive in all 17 games last year, 16 games, 17 games this year. And what does he do when this preseason goes out and is probably the Cardinals' most effective offensive player through two games? Um, So there's a box checked. And then lastly, you know, how are some of the younger players on defense like, you know, Xavier Collins, Isaiah Simmons, how do they look? And I thought they played particularly well against Kansas City. Xavier Collins, to me, uh, you know, fingers crossed, he's going to be calling the defense for the Cardinals for the next decade plus. And Isaiah Simmons is kind of moving all over the place, which is good to see some creativity from Vance Joseph. So, I mean, this this final game that was canceled for, for people who are frustrated, it likely would have given us a little bit more clarity on Andy Isabella's situation. You know, the, the third-year receiver inactive for large stretches of, of the 2020 season has missed almost, a, I mean, he did. He missed all of the preseason, most of camp with a COVID-19 not positive tests, but close contact. They haven't really revealed much. He just, frankly, just hasn't been available enough. Um, You know, a lot of people are are speculating, will he be cut? 
you know, my scenario, I've been confident in this since day one, Blake, when it comes to Isabella is I would think that he would be the odd man out if Larry Fitzgerald were to return. That hasn't happened yet. So I think he does make the team as their, you know, wide receiver number six. I think he's a little bit of insurance if Rondell Moore gets nicked up during the year. So I do think he makes the team. Um, but again, maybe he would have been able to, to provide a little bit more clarity should that game have taken place this weekend. It wasn't. But I still don't think too much uh, would have been cemented, Blake. Yes, the fact of the matter is, in a lot of cases, John, the Cardinals roster, for the most part, seems very set. The back end of the roster is what's been the most concerning aspect for uh, some folks as far as for realizing that if the starters that you've trusted, such as the likes of J.J. Watt, if uh, Andy A.J. Green, um, seeing as far as the offensive line goes, some of those back-end roster spots become of a lot more importance. We saw that last year with the likes of how the Cardinals, when they lost Chandler Jones for the season, simply moved to the likes of Hassan Reddick taking over the main pass rush role, and Dennis Gardeck, a guy who was one of your special teams players, taking on a major role as one of the team's pass rushers. Uh, like you said, the narrative, I think, for the Arizona Cardinals that needs to really be talked about is just how bad the offense looked in year three, which is something that we can say, all right, it's preseason, it doesn't matter. And I think a lot of pointed to how Kyler Murray essentially just seemed like he didn't care as much about the preseason. It didn't seem as inspired of play. Perhaps a lot of that comes down to just not wanting to get hurt. Um, and I think that that's the spot that you have to look at is the only two players, however, that were missing on offense were Max Williams, the tight end, and DeAndre Hopkins, of course, the outside target. Uh, they didn't see a lot of snaps for A.J. Green, didn't see a whole lot of... Um, as far as with targets for Elias like Rondell Moore, uh, the biggest thing I think overall, John, that I've seen at least with this Cardinals offense is if they don't have a second tight end that steps up at least, then you're going to be looking at this you know, 10 and 11 personnel all the time. Really, in that sense, it's going to be really curious to find out just exactly what we see out of the likes of A.J. Green and Christian Kirk. I think at least the fact that they're having to count on a rookie in Rondell Moore, and we saw you know, a pass that he should have caught that was dropped. We saw A.J. Green at least you know, not get as open off a play-action pass. It would have liked Christian Kirk dropped a critical third down pass. These are some of the little areas where the Cardinals have to improve because, as we saw, they have got a solid defense, uh, but when the Chiefs drive down the field and the Cardinals hold in the red zone, there just gets to be a lot of these 2019-2020 defensive vibes. While the offense, you're hoping to see something like this new 2021 and moving forward offensive uh, explosion. And I think that the question I have is, should fans be as concerned about that? I think it's a mixed bag as far as how Kingsbury is treating the preseason. There's guys like Andy Reid who are essentially playing Mahomes, you know, in quarter three of a preseason game. And then there's the Sean McVays who are essentially kind of putting the team in bubble wrap up until the regular season begins. And as we talk about this this morning, uh, J.K. Dobbins, the Ravens leading running back, goes down with an injury. We've gone anywhere from a month to the season seems to be the prognostication right now. Is this something at least that there is a right or a wrong way to handle this? I think a lot of fans honestly don't care so much as the final product on the field looks great. And I think at least for me, I would prefer to have seen, you know, the guys like Andy Isabella go out there, especially because if Andy makes this roster, despite missing the majority of training camp practice and all three games, it's going to be hard to tell fans that a guy like Antoine Wesley catching everything or a Greg Dorch who has more special teams experience and has made some great catches that they're not as deserving as the former second round pick yeah i mean let's just call it what it is i mean he's getting extra um slack on his rope because of where he was drafted the fact that he was a second round pick only 
two years ago in that 2019, infamous 2019 draft that included the likes of DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, uh, that, that he's still riding that. And if he had been a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, there's a good chance he's not with the team anymore. But draft status matters. I'm sure part of it is Steve Keim is in complete control of the 53-man roster, has all say, like we, we've talked about this off air, in terms of personnel. And, and Cliff kind of goes with the flow. And, and Cliff won it, Andy, when that draft rolled around. And you can watch the video of how energetic he was, that he was able to secure the former UMass product. And now we fast forward to now, and, and Andy not only doesn't look like he should be making the team, he doesn't look like an NFL player. Um, he was an active, a healthy scratch for the last quarter of, of last season for a reason. Um, he's, this is his third year in the system. This, this should be his quintessential, same with Christian Kirk, their pop years with Cliff. And he just, I, I, I understand that he had a solid week of practice this, this week leading up to the game. So I'm sure he's disappointed he doesn't get to show that off with somebody competent like Colt McCoy. Um, but I also think, Blake, you know, going back to the Kyler Murray situation with not necessarily being energetic about the preseason, I can understand that. Russell Wilson doesn't play in the preseason. Kyler Murray didn't need a preseason last year in order to have an MVP-type first half of the year. Um, I think where the concern is with a lot of us, and myself included, is that the, the offense that we saw against Kansas City, albeit for just a couple possessions with Kyler, was a lot of what we saw at the tailspin of 2020 that cost them their postseason berth. They just, they weren't organized. They had no separation. There was no creativity. They didn't commit to running the football enough. And again, this is a very small, you know, sample size, one quarter of a preseason game that nobody's going to remember a month from now. But what people will remember is how they finished a year ago and how the defense, just like against Kansas City, was really kind of the calling card of this Cardinal team, and the offense just wasn't getting it done, save for the Philadelphia game last year against Jalen Hurds and company. They were egregious against New England, bad against the Niners and the Rams. Those games cost them uh, a chance to, to go – cost them their ticket to the postseason. And so, again, I understand yeah. you know, the Kansas City game, there was, no, there was no A.J. Green, there was no DeAndre Hopkins, right? So those are your two alpha outside receivers – you know, Kirk and Rondell Moore are going to be underneath. I just think that it's it's unfair, but it's fair at the same time, if that makes sense. We're allowed to be critical of an offense that has been in the works for three years now. This is who it is. This is it's not changing. He could make some tweaks, but they're we've we've been to camp. We've seen it. They're not making wholesale changes in the sense that they're just going to rewrite the offense that Cliff was brought in here to run. And I think to your point, Blake, the lack of a legitimate. I've been saying this for you know, six months, it feels like, the lack of a legitimate receiving tight end subsequently let Dan Arnold walk as a free agent. Don't replace him. Max Williams is a fine player. It's a heck of a run blocker. He's not a plus receiving tight end. And I just think in 2021, in the NFL, you need difference makers at those positions, especially with Kyler Murray, still a young quarterback, needs that safety blanket down the middle of the field, running those critical seam routes on third and fourth down. And they were just... They were overly dependent on hero ball and backyard football with, with Kyler and Hopkins last year. The intermediate passing game was non-existent. By all accounts, they feel like A.J. Green is going to solve a lot of those issues for them. You know, everything that we've heard, that we've seen, A.J. Green's going to have a bounce back year. Now, what does that look like? Seven, 800 yards? Can it be enough to ignite, you know, a stale passing game outside of Hopkins? That remains to be seen, but it just it doesn't give you a lot of encouragement going into a critical road game to begin the year at Tennessee, 
when they couldn't even pick up a first down against the Kansas City defense that, you know, they're just playing the majority of their starters. But, I mean, Kansas City's defense is fine. It's not elite. It's not the Rams that you're going to see twice this year. So uh, put a bow on the preseason. I just I feel like Kyler doesn't need to play because there's nothing left to prove. If there's issues with the offense, that's that's greater than Kyler Murray, in my opinion. Absolutely. After the first quarter, the Cardinals had minus one yards of offense. Very much uh, feeling in that regard is, uh, you know, you don't like to see it in the preseason. You'd prefer to see your guys get on the field, drive down, get a touchdown, get off the field, or not play at all. Kingsbury has been very much this secretive type of head coach where he just doesn't like guys to be able to see some of the things that are there. Uh, you know, like a god of it, you can say at least is. With Rondale Moore in the preseason, we've seen him on some deep routes in camp that we've not seen drawn up for him in the preseason. We've seen him kind of be back on the injury list where he wasn't going to play on this third preseason game. Uh, it'll be something to see since health has been a question for him. I still feel like it's more likely the Cardinals trying to play it safe in a lot of different ways. It seems like the last few years, if you take a look at that, it was the same issue with Kenyon Drake and Max Williams. Now, Max at least had a serious injury that kept him out of the most of last season. Kenyon Drake, at least, you know, took on an extra injury. But you kind of see the Cardinals preferring to keep some of these guys in bubble wrap for the most part. So uh, we can go and talk a little bit about some of the guys who are maybe the impressed, guys who are maybe a little bit on the bubble. A lot of those are kind of the same since we've seen the majority of the Cardinal snaps going to to these, you know, either rookie draft picks or players who are going to be, you know, maybe they make the roster, maybe they don't. But we were interrupted by some big news coming out on the previous Sunday with Larry Fitzgerald talking about his own future, uh, talking to Sports Illustrated's Jim Gray, talking to that he just doesn't really have the same feeling, at least with football when it comes to it. he just doesn't have that same urge. Uh, and as a result, he said he didn't rule it out potentially returning for the most part to the Cardinals. But, John, we talk about football for the most part, almost unanimously people look at this and said, all right, so Fitz is not necessarily like ruling out a return to the team in some capacity, but it feels like that would be more of cracking a window open rather than leaving the door open. And I think that is kind of how we felt the past few months for the most part. What are your thoughts on Fitzgerald essentially in this aspect, seemingly sounding like he's a player who's retired without necessarily saying that he's retired? Because by all accounts, that's what a lot of fans are just hoping for is some sort of clarity on the issue moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree, Blake. I think that for me, nothing's really changed until he makes a public statement, puts out a statement uh, to the media, in the press. I think he's leaving his options open like he has for the duration of the offseason. I think that he knows his body and knows that he doesn't necessarily need a preseason, certainly, after doing this for 17-plus years. Um, I do think that the closer we get to postseason football, especially if the Cardinals are in contention and could use a veteran receiver, it would make the most sense. And I, I really do think that that's the scenario to watch for. Now, if uh, a team that is a legitimate contender like a Kansas City or certainly a Tampa Bay were to have, you know, gut-wrenching injuries at the receiver position and they call up Larry Fitzgerald. I do think that assuming the Cardinals like where they're at from a receiver standpoint or they're out of contention completely, I do think that, and he doesn't he doesn't need to do this, but I think he, th- there'd be a conversation with Michael Bidwell that, that they'd have each other's blessings for Larry to go. 
and compete for a title elsewhere. Yeah. Um, Assuming that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like with their, their cap space contract, pretty much like we've seen, John, everyone takes a little bit of a discount to play with Tom Brady. I'm kind of curious if that Tampa Bay ship has sailed because of the return of Antonio Brown. But like you said, it is one of those interesting aspects for the most part. And that's just, do, that's just yeah. a team that's easy to connect the dots because of Bruce Arians and Jason Light and the – you know, the fact that Tom and Larry have, have wanted to play together forever. There was always years of, if you've been following this podcast or, or Cardinal Media in general for the past decade, New England was going to make a, a trade for Larry Fitzgerald for, for ages. And of course, that never happened. So that's the easiest one to connect the dots to. The difference is they're, they're loaded at skill players. It, it's a it's a farce to, to believe it's it's a lock to happen. I just, I don't think we can close the book on Larry Fitzgerald playing this year until he says, I'm done, I'm retired, I've got a new regiment, I've got other things that I'm, I'm interested in doing. And then, you know, kudos to him. We can celebrate, you know, his legacy that day. But um, I, I I would not bet my money that I, I've seen Larry Fitzgerald play his last down of NFL football. Ooh. See, I would basically take that bet if it was me personally, at least for that. So that'll be something that's interesting. Again, it feels like you said, in some cases, it feels like things have changed from the comments. In other cases, it hasn't. Again, I think that that's one of the things that Cardinals fans will be anxiously watching because the Red Sea did not get a chance to say goodbye if this is truly going to be Larry's uh, kind of last ride was in 2020 amidst the rest of the pandemic. So that's something at least that we'll end up seeing. Uh, let's shift and talk a bit about now, instead of talking about the past with Fitzgerald, we can move talking about the future. And I think that starts with this Cardinals draft class. So far from what we have seen, the biggest three guys the team has selected, and this isn't even including adding a veteran center in Rodney Hudson, have been Zaven Collins, Rondale Moore, and cornerback Marco Wilson. You could probably make an argument, John, that these, outside of A.J. Green, are the biggest storylines coming out of training camp. All of them expected to at least have major roles outside of potentially Wilson. Um, I believe Marco Wilson, at least for the most part, has like a PFF grade for those who counted it somewhere in the 80s, for the most part, is one of the better, uh, not just defenders on the Cardinals as far as the preseason goes, but across the NFL preseason as a whole. Zayvon Collins has had some splash plays. Looks like he may be the real deal. Fits seemingly perfectly at a Mike linebacker spot. And as we talked about with Rondale Moore, he's gotten touches on, I think it's something of a quarter of the snaps that he has been in on, he's gotten a touch. Cardinals have clearly seemed to indicate that they will be using him a lot this year. Uh, this is probably one of the biggest highlights, I think, of the offseason. I've got a question, at least for you, that'll be a bit of a devil's advocate on Wilson, but talk a little bit about what we've seen from Collins and Moore, because for Cardinals fans who've been wanting to see both uh, a versatile linebacker threat amidst, you know, we can think back to the Steve Wilkes days where Deion Buchanan and Hassan Reddick were struggling. The team brought Josh Bynes essentially off of his couch, and he was instantly an upgrade at the linebacker spot. To now where you're talking about Jordan Hicks, their starter of the past two years, is going to be essentially a backup. It seems like it's a big step forward for the team as far as being able to find guys who can come in and make an impact early, something we just have not seen enough of from the Cardinals in the Steve Keim draft era post-2015. Yeah, you know, I remember speaking about the 2020 draft class with Simmons and Josh Jones and company, and I thought, hey man, this draft class has a chance to be pretty special. You've got an impact linebacker in the top 10. You've got hopefully a developmental tackle that you're excited about in Jones. And then you fast forward to this year, and it's evident. This is going to be, whether it's their best draft class since 2015, this is going to be their most productive draft class in recent memory. And if you've seen Steve Kine's draft resume, 
that may not be saying a ton, Blake. As we know, he's had more misses than hits as the GM for the Arizona Cardinals. But there's no question there are at least three individuals from this draft class that are going to play significant, significant roles for the Arizona Cardinals this year. And it starts with Xavier Collins. Xavier Collins has had, outside of his off-the-field issue with uh, the um, – you know, being arrested for, yeah. you know, driving over the speed limit. That was his one. Which has been resolved now as right. well. His so one hiccup. in the past. He <laughs> has been a seamless transition on the field and is really kind of the alpha of that front seven. Certainly that linebacking core in terms of calling the defense. Now, I'm not saying he's a better player, of course, than Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. But the hope is that he turns into a Bobby Wagner, or Patrick Willis, somebody that defenses are fearful of and is that quintessential three-down linebacker that's sideline to sideline that can play the pass and certainly, as we've seen in the preseason, play the run exceptionally well. He's going to play 90-plus percent of the snaps. If he comes off the field, it's for a breather or he's, or he's you know, knock on wood injured. Um, he's not coming off the field. So he's going to put up gaudy stat lines in general. I would not be surprised to see if he had 90-plus tackles, a couple of sacks, a couple of interceptions. Remember, he was the PFF highest rated uh, coverage linebacker and then you watch how physical he is and the speed he possesses and if you've been to camp and you've watched him live he just has a physical presence that really has not been matched for the Cardinals in some time I mean he holds his own next to Chandler Jones and a J.J. Watt from a physical standpoint and then you fast forward to, to Rondell Moore and again you know that draft pick I think came with a lot of reluctancy from from the fans not that they didn't like the player but hey you're going to go with another undersized receiver um a la andy isabella terrence marshall who by the way is, is having a good preseason for carolina was available mm-hmm. maybe yeah. maybe you could have traded up for asante samuel uh pat fryermuth is having a great camp the tight end for the pittsburgh steelers there were options right i think we could look back and, and this could be one of the more productive second rounds that we've seen in some time but all Rondell Moore has done is had really the best camp for a Cardinal rookie receiver since John Brown in 2014. And he's, in my opinion, based on what I'm hearing, he's had a better camp. And he's going to have a legitimate role. And I think the plan, hopefully, is, I mean, you'd love to get a huge bounce back here from A.J. Green. But truth be told, he's on a one-year contract. Christian Kirk's on a one-year contract. We don't know if he'll be back this year. Rondell Moore is going to be here at least for the next four or five years alongside DeAndre Hopkins. And it would not surprise me going into next year if he was this team's 1B to Hopkins 1A. And just the facet of physicality, you know, yards after catch, breaking tackles, elite, you know, straight line speed that we've seen from him. I I didn't think he had this kind of completeness to his game. Um, I didn't think he was a gadget player, but, you know, I've, I've been quoted on this podcast many times. I'm like, well, you know, best case scenario, maybe you get like eight, 900 yards receiving, you get like two or 300 yards rushing, and that's a really good season for Rondell Moore. And that I'm not talking about his rookie season. I'm talking about like peak year for the Arizona Cardinals, right? right? Like right. down the line. I mean, there's, there's no reason now based on what we've seen and how much he can dominate the intermediate passing game and the screen game. Um, I think, you know, 12, 1300 yards is something that's realistic for him. He, he looks the part when you watch him in the preseason they just have to be careful not to, you know, mismanage his usage, his undersize. And again, I think that's why Andy Isabel is going to stick around at least for one more year. But you talk about the combination of those two players. And then to me, the, the biggest surprise maybe of, of training camp, and it's something Blake we've keyed on, keyed in on early, 
was Marco Wilson's expedited development. Marco Wilson, who I thought project guy, hopefully sticks around, maybe can develop and do a la, you know, Greg Toller, somebody like two or three years down the line, has a role in the secondary, right? Could be your number two corner. There's a chance, a chance that this young man is the number two corner for the Cardinals by season's end. He's had that kind of ability. He's had that kind of camp in terms of his presence. He stays after camp every day, as does six-round pick Tay Gowan with, with their DB's coach. He has looked great. His ball skills, I, I would argue, are far superior to Byron Murphy's when Murphy came out as the 33rd overall pick from Washington in 2019. And he just has this, this presence in the secondary, especially around the football, Blake, that I, I don't think we've seen in Arizona since peak Patrick Peterson. And again, he's not Patrick Peterson. But you talk about the quality of camp that Byron Murphy's had, culminating with the interception of Patrick Mahomes in the, in the end zone a couple of weeks ago, and then the expedited development of Marco Wilson. Suddenly, your secondary and your corners, when you add in a Robert Alford and a Malcolm Butler, that's not a liability. That's probably one of the more enticing, interesting position groups on the entire team. And it starts with the fourth-round pick that I think a lot of people – you know, either undervalued, maybe the coaching wasn't what he needed at the University of Florida. If that works out, we got to give more love to Vance Joseph because, I mean, I did not see this coming this quickly. Right, and perhaps that's something that we should have, especially with given the fact that preseason, uh, you're going to see a lot of athletes at least are going to be guys who pop. And Marco Wilson has been probably one of the more dynamic athletes at corner that we've seen in quite some time. If you take a look back at his uh, previous history, um, whether it comes to Florida, he seemed like he was a guy who was not only would be maybe a step or two behind, had a lot of tackles, but was also playing SEC corners, or excuse me, playing SEC wide receivers as a corner every single week. Um, the dude at least is an explosive guy. When you look at his broad jump and vertical jump, the fact that he was able to, you know, run a, he's a 4-3-40 type of guy. Um, he's got big hands for the most part. Is also super strong when you're talking about, you know, what matters for a lot of corners. Bench press is not something that a lot of corners it matters for, but it can when you're playing some of the more physical guys like an A.J. Brown or Julio Jones, uh, even a DeAndre Hopkins, guys who just have this upper body strength to be able to get off the press and jam. His arms are shorter than a lot of corners that we've seen before, and perhaps that's one of the arenas that maybe is a little bit lacking for him for compared to others. That could be one reason why he fell. Um, but a lot of the avenues as far as what you're looking for in cornerbacks is ultimately it's a position that's all about reading, having the smarts, and then being able to recover. And in that regard, John, that athleticism, that explosion is something we've seen, that closing speed to be able to break up some passes. It's where corners, even guys who get beat, can suddenly be able to, you know, they're not beat because you can just make up for whatever is there. I do have a bit of a devil's advocate, and this is a question that's not been asked by really anyone, but looking back to some comparisons, it uh, just had me kind of wondering, the last time the Cardinals had more of this dynamic athlete at the cornerback position who was the talk of camp, you know, there's two examples you can think of. One of them was Tyron Matthew. Uh, you can maybe look at Buda Baker, but he played more of a safety role. The other, interestingly enough, was Brandon Williams. People forget so easily how Brandon Williams was the talk of camp in that 2016 year. Gil Brandt said, man, he's got a chance to be not just, you know, one of the best rookies that I've seen on the Cardinals, but one of the best rookies I've seen across the entire NFL. And when Brandon Williams came out, obviously this is a guy who, you know, we quickly forget got beat twice deep in the New England Patriots game of which... You know, Jimmy Garoppolo and Rob, I think it was Brady and Gronk didn't play, and Jimmy Garoppolo still diced up the Cardinals. 
I think the biggest difference, John, at least, and maybe this is from just some of my perspective, is that you're talking about a former running back who is a dynamic athlete converted to corner who is missing some of that natural corner ability. I think that Wilson has demonstrated that fact that he's a natural corner, and he's also started over 40 games in the SEC, if I remember correctly, uh, at least that number. He's got the experience and a lot of the play to go with it. I don't see a type of Brandon Williams situation, but perhaps with the preseason when guys who are athletes, we've talked about Stephen Williams and Ryan Williams, you know, popping off only to have some struggles during their games. Are we putting maybe a little too much stock into this preseason and training camp performance for a dynamic athlete who is showing that he's a dynamic athlete? No, I, I don't think so. I think, listen, Brandon Williams did not have the preseason that Marco Wilson is having. And again, I know they were excited about about his prospect of developing into a, a rotational corner or a starter, and you know everybody knows that that didn't happen. Um, but I think Marco Wilson, to me, represents what Steve Kime has been unable to do, and that is hit on day three players. Day three players are there for a reason, and majority of the, the great teams that compete for championships, if they've got a sustainable process, it's that they can find quality depth and personnel on day three of the NFL draft. And I think they're, we put our blinders up now come Saturday morning. I mean, you and I don't because we're addicted to this, but the casual fan does because it's like, you know, we've, we haven't hit on a fifth round pick in how long, you know, we're, we're excited about Jalen Thompson. He was a fifth round pick supplemental pick, right? And Marco Wilson, tr- you traded up for him in the fourth round. Well, what, what's he going to be able to offer? The Cardinals have cut fourth round rookies out of camp. Dorian Johnson never even had an opportunity to make the team, right, as a fourth-round rookie. So I think where Kime has, has made his mark, for better or worse, has been on day two of the draft in the second and third round, and, and that was earlier on in his tenure. And we look at all of the misses he's had, whether it's Akeem Butler, you know, the slew of offensive linemen that haven't panned out, the, the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round, while there there's certainly lottery tickets, the great teams find quality playmakers. The great teams find contributors. And the Cardinals, I believe, have just, they've gone to the plate enough, they've, they've finally been able to hit a home run, so to speak, on a player that was undervalued, but the Cardinals had the foresight, and give Kyle credit for this, to package picks next year in 2022 to go up and get this guy. And again, you're not doing that unless you feel like he has an opportunity to be as a, an at least a, a, a quality starter for you during the duration of his rookie deal, and hopefully he parlays that into another nice contract with you. You're not doing that for him to be yeah. Mr. Special Teams and eventually maybe he cracks the lineup you know, his fourth or fifth year. You're doing that because, in my opinion, you feel like, hey, Marco Wilson, you've got an opportunity because of the uncertainty and the age of a lot of your peers in the secondary to seize one of these jobs long term. We think what we like what we see from Byron Murphy. It's a big year for him. I expect if he if he has a solid year this year, he's going to get extended. They want to bring him back, and by all accounts, b- between the added weight that he's that he's put on, the fact that he's going to play more outside this year, we even saw it in that Kansas City game. If you're able to pair Marco Wilson long term with with Byron Murphy, suddenly now and they and they had and give them credit, they they had an opportunity to do this in this in this year's draft. They didn't do it. They didn't force a corner pick in the first round. They didn't stick at pick 16 and say I'm going to take X corner even though the top two corners, you know, Patrick Sertain and otherwise, they're gone, right? J.C. Horn, they're gone. I'm just going to fill a need to fill a need. Well, we thought Xavier Collins was a luxury pick, and maybe he was, but he certainly looks the part. And then they stuck to their board, 
didn't trade up for somebody like Asante Samuel Jr. in the second round, who by all counts, I don't know if he's having as good of a preseason as Marco Wilson. I don't think he is. Well, I mean, he did have an interception, I believe, at least, and it was, if I remember correctly, at least, or a near pick. I'll double check on that, but he's looked pretty good for the Chargers overall. Now, what I do agree, though, is, John, if you're talking about the first round corners and the other, there's a lot of corners in rounds two and three aside of Samuel that were selected by teams, and Wilson has still looked better than the majority of them, and I think in a lot He's got a top three PFF coverage grade for the preseason, and again, that's not in the... That's not in the third and fourth quarter, folks. That's early in these games, and I get it. It's only two games, but he was out mixing it up um, in that first preseason game early. He was mixing it up in the red and white scrimmage that we saw against Kyler Murray and company in the first-team offense. So the the perception of this kid right now within the organization is that they've finally found somebody who is not a developmental pick on day three and rather is going to be, I believe, a plug-and-play starter starting maybe early this year. Yeah, that's the hope, John, obviously. Uh, let's go and talk about the last of the, I guess you could say, rookies before we get into some of these guys on the bubble. Um, and we can talk a bit also with Cliff and Kime because I do want to touch on that. Eno Benjamin, I believe, is locked up that third running back spot. I know the Cardinals like Jonathan Ward. He's a big back. I believe he's got one touch for one touchdown, if I remember correctly, on his usage. Um, really do think that when you're looking at the overall scope of the Cardinals, it doesn't seem likely to me that they'll be looking at drafting a back next year versus I could see potentially signing a guy to a one-year deal, moving to Eno is kind of one of those aspects. Or maybe this is one of the cases where if Chase Edmonds can prove himself worthy of a long-term deal, that the Cardinals would be one of those teams. A lot of times when teams we say you don't pay your running backs, it's hard to find running backs that are worth it. I think that Chase is a guy who, in the limited snaps that he's shown two things. One is that he's a dynamic dynamic player when he's able to get into space he's able to kind of cut and run around he's able to catch the ball like a wide receiver he's part of the reason the Cardinals can go into these five wide sets on straight off of three downs or even on first down because he's such a good pass catcher can break a tackle and get loose the thing we've also seen is when he's gotten a high number of touches thinking of the Giants game or even in future games after when Kenyon Drake was hurt he has kind of sustained a few injuries that have limited him Uh, overall in the season I think at least when it comes down to these players that are going to be there the Cardinals as far as the long-term build of this team it seems to me like it wouldn't and this is kind of the case it wouldn't shock me if we see some carries that do go to Eno particularly because James Conner and Chase Edmonds are not the epitome of health what that means as far as for the roster and having a guy like Jonathan Ward on there I think it means that he'll stay on I could see the Cardinals keeping you know three tight ends potentially some have wondered if they're going to keep five receivers or not I think that there's going to be a combination of what we see from Isaiah Simmons and that flexibility and the fact that Marco Wilson has played well that we're only going to end up seeing maybe four corners this year with a guy on the practice squad potentially and I think that may be something that's set for the Cardinals given that flexibility is part of what we're expecting Arizona to have between Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson, some of their other safeties, and Simmons. Uh, Speaking of uh, Simmons, this is a spot, John, where this is something Kyle Odegaard had said. He talked about how Isaiah Simmons 
was a guy that he didn't know if he would stick at safety. Simmons has shown that he's been essentially in pass coverage, dynamic player. Like he's covering this 4-3 tiny Meikle Hardman kind of player, at least for the most part, and is able to get a pass breakup. I think, oh no, it was a tackle on third down short of the sticks. There's how many linebackers can you count that are able to cover a slot receiver with that sort of speed in the NFL? Now, that said, Simmons at least seemed like he had to do a late recovery on the play. Call Mahomes held onto the ball a bit long. You know, perhaps there's still some development that he's going through there just has kind of been wondering if the Cardinals really have kind of been drafting more of a guy who maybe you don't want to stick in the box be like a Zayvon Collins tackling you know 120 guys a year versus this unique coverage weapon who can blitz the passer it just it still kind of goes back to that is he a safety or is he a linebacker type of argument I think that the hope in my regard John is if you could see Zayvon Collins develop into a type of a Bobby Wagner the hope that I would have is that you could then kind of mirror a little bit of the Seattle Seahawks. You know, you've got these athletic long corners on the outside. You're able to see, you know, Bobby Wagner type in the middle with Zavin. And then maybe you see a bit of the hybrid, the KJ Wright, Cam Chancellor. Maybe you can get one of those guys in the likes of an Isaiah Simmons. He is definitely going to be playing a lot this year, along with um, Jordan Hicks playing that back role. Uh, to talk a little bit about some of the areas with when it comes to Kime or some of the other things, we need to talk a bit about how Steve Kime, as far as his picks, have seemed to improve in some regards, such as with Zavin. We can talk about how Isaiah Simmons and Josh Jones are starting. Obviously, their trades have added a lot of Pro Bowl talent. It seems interesting also because Cliff Kingsbury, after talking this week, seemed to indicate that he doesn't really have like final say on the roster. That maybe he has input, perhaps contractually, that's something Steve Kime has, but it does make me wonder, John, if there could be a breakdown between this Cardinals coaching staff and the Cardinals front office as far as expectations. You know, we've already seen Kaim essentially be able to say, hey, like, Zavin, he's going to be the starter. Like, Hicks, th- thanks a lot. You know, you'll be kind of coming in in some of these package roles, but, you know, no competition. Just Zavin is going to be getting the job. We ended up seeing a little bit of how they were maybe not upset, but there was vocally talked about how Isaiah Simmons just did not get a lot of playing time last year. They wanted to fix that. And we're also seeing kind of a little bit of a departure from what was expected, which I believe was Brian Winters being this veteran starting right guard, joining all of these other veterans of Kelvin Beecham, joining Rodney Hudson, of joining DJ Humphreys and Justin Pugh on the offensive line. It's a lot of 30-year-olds there, a lot of veteran experience. Instead, now it seems very likely that due to injury, COVID protocols, whatever happens, Josh Jones, the third-round pick of last year, seems like he's a lock for the starting right guard position. He probably was coming into the season expected as the swing tackle, but it seems like he's going to be the guy. I I do wonder, John, when we look at this plus some of the past history of guys like Terrell Suggs playing well into late in the season, really he didn't you know hit the bench until he was cut or released from the team. Seeing how guys like Andy Isabella, despite the fact that you know Antoine Wesley has caught everything that's come his way, he seems like he's going to be on the roster as well. There just seems to be a question I have, John: is is it possible that some of the Cardinals front office? And the coaching staff has a bit of a disconnect where the front office is telling the coaching staff this is going to be how it is. Because if that's the case, John, that is one spot where the plus is maybe you do get to develop some of the young players at least that coaches would probably want to be able to have differently. But then it feels like you're not really gearing yourself up as a team to win. You're more of trying to be able to do what the you know front office wants to have happen versus putting the best guys out there on the field and I can't say I disagree with some of the choices to put Jones in to put um, 
the likes of Zayvon Collins in. They just have both looked great. But if it comes to, you know, hey, we're going to keep Andy Isabella as our sixth wide receiver this year, and he's going to be inactive for all 17 games on game day, but we're keeping him on this roster because, you know, he was a second-round pick. He's got some of that speed over a player who probably, at least at this point, might be a bit better. And, yeah. Maybe some of that comes down to if Isabella was a fifth-round pick, we'd view him differently than if he was a second-round pick. But what are some of your thoughts, at least, on this Cardinals identity? Because a lot of fans wonder, if this Cardinals team distincts, is that going to be the end of the road for Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime? And I wonder, John, if we're not going to end up seeing them be seven, we're going to see them being separated, essentially, where Kime will be graded on a different avenue than Cliff for one reason or another because they're making decisions separately. Yeah, you know, Blake, I think that if, if the season goes awry, everybody has, you know, a, a part to play in that. And there will be, in my opinion, evil blamed to go around. I mean, let's let's be frank here. Even if Cliff Kingsbury struggles and, and loses his job, Steve Kime hired Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, this was his third coach in his tenure, two of which, if, if Cliff, you know, flames out this year, have been disappointments. The, the first, of course, being Steve Wilkes. So I think that, you know, personnel is just one aspect of a successful GM. And I know Michael Bidwell plays a part in who they hire as head coach, but I mean, it was Steve's decision to go with Cliff. Um, and again, you could make the argument, had they not gone with Cliff Kingsbury, would Kyler Murray even be an Arizona Cardinal? Uh, but that's a conversation for another day. But I, I think that, listen, if, if their drafts from the past two years pan out the way they hope, that will lead to great success this year. And it's as simple as that, because again, where I think a lot of the general media has a disconnect with this team is, you know, maybe outside of J.J. Watt, who's going to be on a pitch count this year, you know, Malcolm Butler and A.J. Green and some of these veteran signings, James Conner, they're not being asked to carry the team. They're not being asked to play their peak roles of, you know, two to five years ago. Um, Watt is maybe the exception to that, but again, the Cardinals feel like, knock on wood, if they get Jordan Phillips back playing well, I mean, they've got a nice rotation of players. It really comes down to, okay, the two inside linebackers that they took in the top 16 uh, each of the last two years, can they play, right? What does Christian Kirk look like in a contract year as a slot receiver? Does Kyler Murray take another jump after a year two jump now in year three, right? If all of those things check out and they continue to get solid production elsewhere throughout the duration of the roster from the likes of Chandler Jones and Buda Baker, DeAndre Hopkins, the players that we've come to expect big years – they're going to make the postseason. They're, they're going to have the kind of successful season that's going to set everybody up long term. I, I would fully expect Cliff and, and Steve to have extensions. Listen, if they had won one more game last year and gotten into the, into the postseason at 9-7, and seven, I believe everybody would have been extended. Cliff would have a new contract. I think the perception of him would still be, I don't know, mixed nationally. But I think here in the Valley, he'd have, he'd have solidified himself as, as the coach at least for the next two to three years. That's not the case now, and it, everybody knows it's, it's postseason or bust for this year. Um, the disconnect to me, Blake, I think during Kime's early tenure as GM when he was operating with Bruce Arians, uh, Bruce didn't have say on the, on the personnel, but, I mean, he had a large influence. A lot of the players that, that were drafted, whether it was John Brown or otherwise, they fit what Bruce Arians wanted to do offensively. And he had, an, he had you know his, his nose to the ground when it came to Steve Kime. I think there has been more of a disconnect recently where, I mean, listen, when Cliff Kingsbury was hired as the head coach of the Cardinals, he didn't have enough context to put together a capable defensive staff. He didn't know Vance Joseph. Kime essentially built his defensive staff uh, for him. And 
you can make an argument it's, it's worked out okay. Vance Joseph's been a, a pretty competent defensive coordinator. But I think the same can be said with, with the personnel side of things. I also think that Kime probably views this roster differently than a lot of folks nationally in the sense that, you know, Blake, you and I objectively feel like it's a top 13, 14 roster. Kime probably feels like it's a top 10 roster. And so with that come expectations like, hey, I'm using high picks on these guys and they're not playing for whatever reason. What's going on with that? And I think, Blake, that's less with Kingsbury because, again, like Cliff played Andy Isabella when he was a rookie. And he played, of course, Kyler Murray when he was a rookie. And, you know, he's open to playing young players offensively. It's really just been that disconnect with Vance Joseph. Why did Byron Murphy's snaps go down last year as opposed to his rookie year in 2019? What happened with Isaiah Simmons' development? I think we know it was a combination of ignorance on the part of the Cardinals and the pandemic wiping out, you know, all of his offseason work. I think he and Cliff are on the same page. They know what needs to happen this year. They know where the strengths on this team lie. Cliff, I'm sure, feels very grateful of the opportunity to coach somebody like DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green. I think he feels like he's got enough weapons. To me, the disconnect maybe is more with Vance Joseph, who I would say – you know, has more clout around the league, if you will. He's been a head coach. He's been a high-performing defensive coordinator elsewhere. He's got relationships in the NFL. And last year, he didn't want to play Isaiah Simmons and Byron Murphy. And in my opinion, and, and yours and others, that was a mistake. And so Steve Kime probably made a point to remedy that this offseason with Vance and saying, hey, these young guys are going to help you win because we're not going to rely on, you know, veteran street-free agents. That's not going to get us to where we want to go in the NFC West. And so if that's the, the approach that Kime took, you know, that I give him res- major props and respect for that because this team's not going anywhere without their young players developing and, and becoming staples for them, whether it's offensively or defensively. Hmm. I'm I'm going to be in the kind of the weird camp here, and I'm going to disagree with some of what you said there as far as whether it's a good thing or not. I think that really does depend on, obviously, than football. The end always seems to justify the means. I would not be shocked at all if part of it was not just Isaiah Simmons, you know, learning five positions last year, but also the fact that if you look at Devondre Campbell was signed to a one-year $8 million deal, Cardinals are still paying him as he was signed through a deal that essentially, you know, was had some money backloaded into the contract. It wouldn't shock me if some of that was the fact that the Cardinals were, you know, having to pay him, that maybe you could say that there's the GM putting some inside of, hey, we want to make sure, you know, we get money out of this guy while a guy like Simmons is developing, and they just expected he would develop faster. But I just think back to that first year where Cliff has always been and kind of this guy who seems to be maybe not a step behind or a step ahead, but just there's been some areas where I don't feel like they have been fully in lockstep. Like, even from the very beginning, they asked Cliff Kingsbury, hey, is Kyler going to be your starter this year? He said, yeah, you know, it's going to be a competition. We all treat it like everyone else. And then, like, later that day, Steve Kimes said, oh, no, like, he's going to start week one. Like, this is your guy. He's going to go. You look at that how, you know, later, at least as far as for with the last year goes, you talk about with Isaiah... Uh, notwithstanding, even just this year of Kime essentially saying, yeah, Zavin's going to be the starter. You can even talk about how Cliff Kingsbury has mentioned, hey, like, you know, we're going to go ahead and see if Kyler plays or not. We're planning on him, you know, being able to play against the Cowboys. And then he doesn't even dress like hours later. It just feels like there's some area to me where Kime is up there on high. And maybe, you know, it's Michael Bidwell is having some of these decisions, as he rightfully should, as the owner of the team, essentially. Um, is having some of the different inputs and saying is utilizing some of Steve Kime through that. The two of them are the guys I know who are essentially the ones sitting next to each other in the box, processing, breaking down. I just feel like there's a little bit 
too much at least of Steve Kime where he's influencing and if you take a look at how like you know the Bruce Arians era went you know DJ Humphrey sat for the entire year as a rookie because there was other guys and veterans who were way better than him and he wasn't putting in the time or the work or the effort and I think there's avenues where you can even see with Vance Joseph there was a spot where they weren't on the same page it was like you know, as soon as Ter- Terrell Suggs was cut from the team, all of a sudden the defense just snapped into position. People broke it down and were like, huh, like, okay, this had Chandler Jones is now in the proper pass rushing role. Hassan Reddick, he can now cover guys as far as being able to have that athleticism at linebacker. And then the secondary, for the most part, you're able to see things kind of you know, a little bit more solid with being able to see a lot of that play to the point where the defense is what won them in the Seattle game. I don't think that's a spot that the coaches are suddenly like, oh, man, we don't know what to do. Oh, wow, we just happened to luck into that with Terrell Suggs being cut. Lucky us. I think that there was more behind it, John. And to me, that's kind of, I think, the one spot of concern is if Kyman and Cliff are not on the same page, then I think that's going to be a limiting factor. To me, that's one of the aspects that we need to see this year is the Arizona Cardinals being able to um, develop by having a coaching staff that is on the same page as the development in the front office. And I think that you might be right, though, is that if I had to say that they turned a corner, I think that it would have been last year by being able to see Isaiah Simmons played in those multiple spots and roles, which is what he was essentially drafted to do. You know, despite Vance Joseph saying he's going to be a linebacker, we saw him used as how he should have been. We saw Byron Murphy develop, you know, into the slot where he played quite a bit before being able to be seen as this corner who could kind of move outside. We've seen even Zayvon Collins' development fast-tracked, and Josh Jones, a guy who you know a lot of people pegged at a left tackle seen some of that flexibility which now he could play probably and be your starting right guard that's a positive I think where if the Cardinals are going to be inbound for a good season I think a lot of it would be because the Cardinals coaching staff would be able to get on the same page and be able to evaluate talents like you know Andy Isabella putting him you know not saying oh he's just a slot guy yeah we're going to stick him in here versus moving him back out and taking a guy like Rondale Moore who is a natural slot fit and putting him in a role that I think is best suited for him that is I think what coaching is about and it's also what scouting has been about and the Cardinals for the most part John (laughs) talking back to the likes of Redick and you know other avenues we just really haven't even seen that much less Christian Kirk playing out of the slot which is what he was essentially drafted to be for the Arizona Cardinals and this is the first year we're going to see it to me that at least is a positive heading into the season yeah and you know Blake I'll I'll come in a couple things that that you mentioned there I I do think that this should be the culmination of the rebuild that started in 2019 that Kime was allowed to participate in right and we feel like they put together a three-year stretch both with you know, the development they've had of players under under contract and then also the players that they've signed and developed via the NFL draft. I, I feel like this is the season that could change everything with regard to the Cardinals in one of two ways. Because if things don't go well this year, there's a good chance that both Cliff and Kime will be gone. And really the, the holdover outside of, you know, some of the young players on the roster will be Kyler Murray. And you're going to have to go into a different phase of the franchise. And again, this is very much, you know, hearsay, depending on how the season goes. But, you know, convincing a new GM that, you know, they're going to be able to have input on a roster that, you know, may not be to their liking. Or a new head coach that has seen a couple coaches outed in the past, you know, four years, two turnovers in that span. So it's just not a position the Cardinals want them themselves to be in. Obviously, Michael Bidwell wants to have faith in the product that, you know, that Kime and 
Kingsbury have put together. And no one likes going through restructures or transitions. So again, what we've seen from Kime is, okay, if I'm going down, I'm going down with my guys. I want my guys to play because I don't want to be let go because I watched Jordan Hicks play 80% of the snaps defensively. And then a new GM comes in and Xavier Collins is discovered to be you know, the second coming of Ray Lewis next year. I, I think that Kime wants to go down with the players that he's drafted, rightfully so, you know, for better or worse, and let the chips fall where they may. He's, he's confident in his evaluation. And I think, again, if, if you're a Steve Kime apologist, you'll be happy to see what has transpired over the course of the preseason training camp. All the young players are playing. They're all going to have clearly defined roles. There's not one significant young player of note that I can think of outside of maybe Andy Isabella that's not at least going to have a rotational role this year and have an opportunity to play a lot and play well. So we'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting to, you know, I've got my doubts on, on certain aspects of what Kime has done, but I can't deny how much talent this team has this year. Right, on paper, obviously, and uh, there's older players that are there. A lot of people are down on the Cardinals for the most part, and that will be something to watch. I, I think that I agree with you where it doesn't make sense for me, logically, to separate Kime and Cliff, given you know the hiring process, the drafting, and especially the fact that it would, doesn't make a lot of sense for Steve Kime to pivot off of Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray in part because of Cliff Kingsbury himself only to then let Kingsbury go and Steve Kime is able to you know keep moving forward with the Cardinals but football is not necessarily a logical sport you know it's not necessarily a logical thing there's players who get picked in different avenues we could talk about the Bengals seemingly needing to protect Joe Burrow adding a wide receiver um, there's a, emotional things that play into it there's emotional avenues that play on a game where you talk about how teams at least suddenly see momentum shift due to emotions for whatever reason it's part of why i think we love the sport so much is because it's not just all about the head but there is a huge aspect of heart that goes into it as well uh let's go and say and speaking of how teams have been feeling about the cardinals uh we're going to kind of get into the last uh, i guess you can say the last quarter of our show here let's talk a bit about what's going on with the cardinals and how we feel about their season overall we've seen them in camp We've seen them in the preseason. We've now also been able to kind of see a little bit else that's going on around the league. Let's talk about what some of the expectations for this Cardinals team should be if they've shifted it all or moved. And I think, John, some of that kind of revolves around the fact that you're seeing a little bit of a shift maybe in an expectation or two specifically for week one. The Tennessee Titans have had a rash of about nine or so COVID outbreaks, but the majority of the team still being vaccinated. The NFL policy is players will probably miss some time. Uh, that includes their head coach, Mike Vrabel, and starting quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. Again, the Titans were a team last year that did not really follow the protocols, had some practices that ended up delaying, oh, I believe, a game against the Steelers for quite some time. Uh, kind of weird to see history repeating there, but that just kind of shows the presence of the coronavirus. Even amongst vaccinated people, the Delta is going to have some sort of impact in the NFL this season. It's going to be interesting to see what it looks like for teams. The Cardinals next game would be uh, against a team like the Minnesota Vikings in week two. That's your home game. And the Vikings, obviously, John, we can talk more about it, but with everything going on as far as with Kirk Cousins, you know, and his own opinions, at least that he has toward being able to have the vaccine has been kind of almost a not necessarily presence. Like it's just, he's gone in and out. It's like this 
entire preseason. It's one of those avenues, at least, where you expect that he's going to play unless some sort of you know crazy thing happens. It's more just the fact that the Vikings looked terrible. Their defense has had a lot of struggles. The secondary has not looked good. Now, they didn't have Patrick Peterson playing, but as Cardinals fans can attest, I don't know how much of a boost that may be willing to make, um, even with the likes of a Harrison Smith there, who I get updated from Adam Schefter. looks like he's just signed a uh, contract extension. What should Cardinal fans expect for these games to begin with as far as is this a spot where Cardinals fans can maybe get a little bit of a break to start the season before heading to Jacksonville on the road and then the Rams uh, on the road as well? Because this is a three games on the road, one at home type of an avenue for the Cardinals. We've talked about, John, a two and two start with how tough their schedule is. It's something where it's doable, but your preference would be for the team to be able to get off to a hot start similar to like they did last year in the hopes of being able to overcome what they couldn't last year with that slow fall down the stretch. What are some of your thoughts on the first four games and how we can kind of expect the rest of the season to go for the cards? Well, I've been pretty consistent with my take that, you know, this team is a coin flip away from being eight, nine, nine and eight, similar to last year. Um, You have to remember, you know, for the people that are, are in my mentions and DMs yelling and screaming that they're better on paper. They are, they have a better roster on paper than last year. It's not close. They've upgraded center, defensive line, quarterback should be better. They've got better wide receivers. Um, They're going to be better from a personnel standpoint, but their schedule is more difficult. They do not play the NFC East that they swept last year. They got a slew of backup quarterbacks last year that they feasted on. They played the down, you know, AFC East last year and still happened to lose to New England. So I, I just... This year, it's more difficult. The, the AFC South isn't a juggernaut, but they've got, in my opinion, a couple competitive teams in, in Tennessee and, and Indianapolis. And then, again, you're playing the NFC North that Minnesota's consistently a, a postseason threat to get to the postseason at least. And, of course, the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears um, are, are very competent. The Packers were in the NFC title game last year. So the schedule is going to be more difficult. Let's start with that. With that being said, looking at the first four games of the season, I think let's just let's talk about those first three. I put it out on Twitter. You have to go. You have to find some way to win two of the first three. I don't care which two they are. I mean, if you want to, if you want to lose one of them, lose against Jacksonville because that's the AFC. It doesn't count against postseason standings at the end of the year when it comes to tiebreakers and, and that kind of thing. But right now, the Tennessee Titans are a two and a half point favorite over the visiting Cardinals. Um, that actually has been pulled from DraftKings, I think, with all the uncertainty around. I mean, they're, they're having a COVID outbreak, you know, so prayers up to them. Hope everybody's okay. But there's some uncertainty of, of who's going to be available for Tennessee come week one. Uh, and Ryan Tannehill's been out for a little while with, with you know, either close contact. I know he's vaccinated. So that, that in my opinion, is a coin flip game. You, you look at the visiting team typically always gives two and a half to three points, and that's what they're getting. So on a neutral field, this would be a pick and that's how I'm going to look at it. Um, Minnesota, you mentioned to me, they're, they're very similar to the Cardinals where they, they have all of these like high-caliber players, Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen and you know Anthony Barr and Harrison Smith, but like, are they that well-coached anymore? You know, I, I think that you know, Greg Zimmer is more accomplished, of course, than Cliff Kingsbury, but their defense hasn't been very good. They were egregious last year. And then offensively with Kirk Cousins, you feel like they, they've always got a ceiling, right? So to me, that, that's a game at home you need to win. And then, of course, at Jacksonville, that 10 a.m. kickoff time is going to be tricky. But everything we've seen from Jacksonville over the course of the preseason is 
they just they're not going to be very good. They don't have the talent. They don't have the horses. You know, I love Urban Meyer, but again, this is this is a true rebuild in, in every sense. Um, and the Cardinals can't you know sleepwalk through this game like they did a la Carolina last year. So I do think they'll start two and one in, in some combination. And then again, you know, I, I can't pick them to beat the Rams until I see it um, and beat Sean McVay, which they've never done before until it actually happens. So I'll I'll say two and two and just. You know the microcosm of the season is going to be, it's going to be a, a possession here or there, a coin flip here or there. I mean, you go back to the New England game last year. Cardinals had a late interception, should have won that game, and and couldn't seal the deal with a, a late field goal. And New England drove down the field and, and won the game, and that cost them a playoff spot. Nobody talks about that, but it's it's a couple possessions over the course of the season that's that's going to decide, you know, whether or not the Cardinals are going to punch their ticket to the big dance. I think they have the talent to win 10, 11 games. I don't think the coaching supports that in the NFC West. I think their roster is more talented, in my opinion, than the than the Seattle Seahawks. But they've got Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. That's a trump card over Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. I'd say it's on par with the Rams and the Niners. And I think that Kyler Murray, on any given Sunday, is better than both of the quarterbacks for the Rams and the Niners. Again, the Rams and the Niners have coaches that have been to Super Bowls. McVay looks like the second coming of Bill Walsh certain Sundays. And as much as I think Kyle Shanahan's overrated, I mean, they're competitive when they get good quarterback play. And John Lynch, they put together a nice roster. They've got some young players, Fred Warner, a couple stars that the Cardinals would be envious to have. So I just think this division is such a gauntlet. In my opinion, it's the most competitive division we've seen loaded with personnel from from players and, and, and coaches alike that we've seen in at least a decade. So will this be the season, Blake? One of two things is going to happen, and this is just my final thought on the season itself. Either the Cardinals are going to miss the, the postseason and finish fourth in the, in the division, and everything's going to change, right, like we talked about, or they're going to leapfrog one or two teams or three teams, and we're going to see one of the following. Is Kyle Shanahan a fraud and can only put together an outlier winning season is Matthew Stafford not really just the under 500 quarterback that we've seen you know, throughout the duration of his career with the Detroit Lions? I would bet no. Um, and then when will we see the downturn of play from Russell Wilson? It, it typically comes when you least expect it. Is this the year that he, he's finally going to see a downtick in production? Because he's been so good for so long, and he's only 32, 33 years old. Something like that needs to happen this year for the Cardinals to take over and be a factor in this division, whether it's winning the division outright or just making the playoffs. Now, there is a scenario where all four teams, if you can believe it, could make the postseason. That would be incredibly difficult given that they all play each other multiple times. So I, I think this team, one morning I wake up, I think they're 8-9. Next day, I'm a little bit higher on them. They go 9-8. and eight. But I think 9-8 and eight is pretty safe for a playoff spot. And so for the sake of our podcast today, I'll say they'll go nine and eight and, and get a wild card. Yeah, absolutely. You've got Bucks, Packers, Dallas, who are the most likely teams you would think you would have to win the division, and then you'd have Seattle, the Rams, San Fran, and Arizona would be the one scenario you would assume. Obviously, that could change as far as for teams, but that yeah, that would be wild if you could have all four of those teams be playoff teams, which is what some people have predicted. They've said, hey, the Cardinals, they think that all four of them are good enough to be a playoff team, but the NFC West cannibalizing itself is why they're picking at least one of those teams, and usually and most often. And it is the Cardinals ending up outside 
Yeah, John, let's let's talk a little bit on the mini game there because the Vikings, like you said, it's very similar to the Cardinals in some regards. They're a team that's expected to be one of those teams competing for one of those wild card spots. They just looked awful when they played, at least for that, with Kirk Cousins going back in. Obviously, Justin Jefferson's not going to play till the start of the season. Adam Thielen's hit 30. That can be a bit of a fall off for most wide receivers. They don't really have a wide receiver three. The guy who was supposed to be wide receiver three, Irv Smith, is going to be out for the start of the season, which probably includes that Cardinals game. Um, there's going to be an interesting avenue because that's going to be a home game. You know, Patrick Peterson returning to the state of Arizona with his new team. That's one of those avenues, John, where I think a lot of the Cardinals fans should be looking at that week two and, and then week three games favorably. I'm going to put out a little bit of hot take here and we'll get into some more hot takes here as we kind of start to wrap up. But my hot take is I think that the Cardinals may have a better chance of beating Minnesota at home than they would the Jacksonville Jaguars on the road. Now, it's not to say that they're going to lose, but if you think about it, which would you rather face as far as a home game, your home crowd against you know Kirk Cousins behind what hasn't looked to be a great line with the Cardinals flexibility that we've seen against a bad Vikings defense against a Jacksonville team that has Trevor Lawrence. They've got some weapons for that one, but on the road, East Coast, 10 a.m. start game. We saw last year the Panthers were nothing to talk about or trot home. They did very well. Trevor Lawrence, I think we're underrating him because of the Jacksonville Jaguars somewhat. We forget that he's probably the, the best overall quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, and unlike Kyler Murray, he's started a lot more collegiate football games, including against the likes of Alabama and more. I do think that that's going to be interesting to see how he'll play. I'm glad that, you know, the Cardinals are still going to be playing Jacksonville this year, but that's one of those avenues where it would be interesting if the Cardinals come out flat and Lawrence is saying that he's lost his first two games of the season. They come out strong, wanting to try to get their first win. That would be one of the games that might be a bit dangerous. And, of course, like you said, John, the Rams game, I offered you this teaser of would you take a 2-2 two and two start if the Cardinals beat the Rams over a 3-1 and one start? And I think in some cases you would almost be like, relieved finally have been able to beat McVay on the other hand it would be one of those spots John of if they're starting off two and two we've talked about how the schedule gets tougher and the Cardinals came down last season to losing one game they win one more game they're a playoff team things get tougher this year there could be a lot hanging on this game against Tennessee for week one uh, this could be a lot hanging again if they drop one to Minnesota or even if they drop a road game to Jacksonville because they're going to have to be able to prove themselves in the division to be able to leapfrog someone like you said. Um, and I think also then the other question about with week uh, five and six, you got the Cleveland Browns. Some people think they could be an AFC championship game contender. That team is very stacked offensively and defensively now, not to mention the fact that you're playing the Niners. I don't know if you are aware, John, but there's a new quarterback in town named Trey Lance, and he hasn't looked the best to start overall with this season, but unlike Jimmy Garoppolo, he has legs. And that's one of the spots of when you've got legs and you've got a big arm, you can test defenses. Kyle Shanahan did not even need to have Jimmy Garoppolo to beat the Cardinals last year with his running game. You throw in a quarterback who can run now, and that's one of the games that I think at least is, if you're starting Jimmy Garoppolo, Cardinal fans may have a, maybe not a sigh of relief because he's ripped them up before, but it may be one of those avenues where you're going to be curious as to who's starting at that point, just like you would be for the Bears game near the end of the season if Andy Dalton's playing versus the much more athletic and more talented Justin Fields. I think this is one of those avenues, John, where it's tough. I do think the Cardinals will be improved. The question is, are they going to be improved enough that we can talk about this as a 10 or 11 win team that should be a playoff lock? 
Or is this going to be more of an eight or nine team? Because I think, John, when you're looking at how weak the rest of the NFC is this year, I don't see this as a 10-win team that misses the playoffs. Like we saw last year, the eight and eight with the Chicago Bears got in. The divisions are arguably even weaker now when you're talking about Drew Brees is out in New Orleans. You're talking about how the Panthers seem like they're still kind of building toward this whole rebuild avenue. And you're talking about, you know, shipping a guy like Jared Goff out who was kind of inconsistent for the most part with the Niners coming back in strong. The other teams, at least for the most part, the team that scares you the most might be the Washington football team of those other avenues. But it feels like the NFC is just a little bit weaker compared to the AFC. And I'm just curious as far as your thoughts of do you think that the Cardinals have the chance of they don't make the playoffs this year? Do you think it's an eight or nine record or is there a chance that the wheels could, you know, fall off of this team for the most part? And then we'll get into some of that uh, wrap up stuff at least afterwards. But I want to take some of your thoughts there. Yeah, I, I think the only way that the team doesn't hover around 500 or better is if something were to happen to Kyler Murray. Um, and he would be forced to, you know, God forbid, miss, you know, long stretches of the season and this team would have to rely on Colt McCoy for more than a week or two um, because I think Kyler's going to keep you in a large majority of games. We saw it last year. He won games uh, single-handedly or the combination of he and DeAndre Hopkins. So I think as long I, – I just think they're too talented. I mean, they – Unless they completely give up on the coaching staff at some point this year, whether it's, you know, they've, they've hit a tough stretch, they've lost a couple nail biters, and they just cave in, like, November, I, I don't see that happening. I mean, you, you brought in J.J. Watt and Rodney Hudson for a reason, high-character, ca- high high-caliber guys. You know, Kyler has never looked more comfortable taking on the leadership role for this franchise. It's his team. It's his offense. Um, and he knows that you know they're going to make or break with his production this year. I just I can't fathom a five six win season. I think that again their their floor is probably seven wins, and their ceiling is probably. I mean they've got in my opinion the the lowest and the high lowest floor and the highest ceiling in the NFL. If that makes sense. If things break right, they can win 12, 13 games. If if things go awry outside of an injury, if they just for whatever reason, don't compete, I think they'll win seven games. They'll win a couple games they're supposed to, a couple that they're not supposed to, and then they'll just kind of plateau, right? They'll get beat up by McVeigh and company again, Russell Wilson, fourth quarter heroics, embarrassed by, you know, Trey Lance in a game that will make you want to throw up. But I just, they they are, in my opinion, in a position to, to change the course of the franchise for better or worse. And, you know, depending on the given day, my opinion changes on them. doesn't mean I'm not excited to watch them play. I'm excited to see, you know, development of all these young players. I'm excited to see because we really haven't how veterans like A.J. Green and, and J.J. Watt are going to fit into the into the mold. Can this Cardinals start fast, not only from a win-loss standpoint, but on Sundays? They've never been a team that, that is able to do that. Can they do that this year? Can they go out and, and put an imprint against a team like Tennessee start fast and allow them to have to throw the football, something that they don't want to do as much as obviously run the football with Derrick Henry. So again, I'm, I'm hovering around 500 last year. That was roughly my prediction and it it came true. I said they win probably seven or eight games. They did, but again, it's how they won those games. And the fact that they started six and three, five and two, and then just crumbled down the stretch they brought in these veterans for that reason, to make sure that doesn't happen. They've become faster and more athletic defensively. They've diversified whether or not you feel like it's the right move, their offense, to the point where they're not going to feature the tight end. 
They're going to go three, four wide receivers almost every play. You know, they've got more capable running backs. They've certainly upgraded the offensive line, especially on the interior with Hudson. So they are better. But are they better than their divisional counterparts? That remains to be seen. Yeah, John, it's. I think the way that you put it as well, I would say the Cardinals, based on what we saw against Kansas City, they have a lower floor than what we might be thinking. Maybe the floor of their offense just struggles a lot. The defense has a lot of younger players that end up having you know, issues. Maybe there's some more injuries that take place. That defensive line for the Cardinals, that's obviously, we talked about how we thought that the cornerback spot was pretty weak. That defensive line is probably the weakest position right now because of the guys like Lawrence, Foe, too, missing time. They had to sign Corey Peters. Um, even with J.J. Watt, he's not going to be in there full-time versus a snap count, but I do think that you're right in that the ceiling may be higher than many other people in the NFL are talking about. Because last year, the Cardinals did not have J.J. Watt. They did not have A.J. Green or Rodney Hudson. You're talking about their wide receiver twos, you know, being Fitzgerald. You're talking about uh, Mason Cole. You're talking about, you know, I think the other defensive tackle was Zach Allen, at least. You're also talking about now you've added solid rookies in Zayvon Collins, Rondale Moore, and Marco Wilson. Byron Murphy seems ready to take the step forward. And you're getting back some of these cornerbacks you didn't have last year, in addition to Chandler Jones and a contract year. So when you're talking about all of that together, I do agree their ceiling is higher. I'm kind of reminded a bit of the 2000 and uh, I think it was 2019 Niners who, when they had everyone healthy for the most part, functioning as an elite, solid defense with that pass rush and being able to have a great running game and being able to use play action in the pass game. They were essentially a Super Bowl team. I think if healthy, the Cardinals are one of those long shots that could still make it because they have the talent to do so. The question, of course, is are they going to be able to stay healthy and pull through? And will Cliff Kingsbury be able to take that step forward as a coach? But yeah, otherwise, John, there is a lot of people who are, I think, rightfully speculating that even with a healthy Kyler, the floor could be a bit lower for the Cardinals this season, which is partially due to the schedule, partially just due to the fact that there's a lack of confidence people have from the way that the season ended. All right, let's go ahead here. And I'm just going to say, before we get to our kind of big announcement, John, do you have any other last minute hot takes you want to get into for the season as we kind of, you know, wrap up our preview of 2020? My hottest take, I think that I have is the Cardinals are not going to trade for a tight end. They'll just kind of roll with Max for the most part and the other guys on their roster. And I do think that they are going to see, Christian Kirk be wide receiver four this year. I think that A.J. Green and Rondale Moore will outproduce him. Um, I don't know if he's going to have less than the running backs, such as a Chase Edmonds or James Conner. I think that both of those guys may get some splits as far as for the number of catches, and that's really what changes um, you know, the Kirk falling to number five. But I've got that as kind of my hottest take, which you know, it's trusting a lot to a rookie and a guy in A.J. Green who have not produced in the past few years. But that's what I think the hot take is. What would be one of your hot takes? I would say um, that I think Xavier Collins is going to contend and have a chance to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. I think he's just going to play enough to accumulate the necessary stats. I think he's going to be a part of a defense that takes the league by surprise. Um, And if he stays healthy, I mean, this is going to be a young player, based on what we've seen so far, that's going to have, you know, the, the NFL world at his fingertips, somebody that the Cardinals desperately have been trying to find to fill that void. Goodness, since Carlos Dansby's multiple tenures here with the Arizona Cardinals. So I, I think Xavier Collins... Not, you know, the aforementioned linebacker in uh, Dallas, right? I don't, I don't think Dallas's defense is going to be good enough for uh, he, and his name escapes me, Blake, the kid out of Penn State, uh, for he to, to be able to secure that. Yeah, Parsons. Parsons, yes. Parsons. Um, 
I, I think Zayvon's going to be part of a better unit. And because of that, and he's calling the defense, I think he's going to, again, come away with some flashy numbers that are going to be hard to ignore. So I'll, I'll go on the record and say I think Xavier Collins is going to be defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, that's a big one. I think if the Cardinals make the playoffs, I could see that being the case, especially because, uh, like you said, Parsons, maybe the Dallas, even if their offense does well, if he makes splash plays, sometimes voters will just look at some of those guys who are doing well on good teams. Um, the corners, I think, will be there. But if the Cardinals make the playoffs, I could 100% see that being the case. All right, let's wrap up the ROTB pod today with kind of our big announcement that we've teased, and that is that the ROTB pod's going to be changing. Uh, right now, the function, as you know, has been me and John together since about the 2017 season. Uh, that's not going to be continuing going forward. John is moving on from the ROTB pod um, so this is going to be officially his last show with us. Wishing you, John, all of the best for the most part. It's been a long journey for the most part. And part of me, at least, is sad that you're going to be able to get going. Uh, obviously, the ROTB pod is going to still continue on in its future format, but it will not feel quite the same, I think, without you, especially since we started this thing together. And it's going to be exciting to see where you're off to next. Yeah, thanks, Blake. Yeah, it's been it's been crazy. You and I have been doing this since the 2016 season. Unfortunately, never had an opportunity to see a postseason berth. Maybe that means something. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, but in all seriousness, I, I can't thank uh, you, the folks at RevengeOfTheBirds.com, our site editor Seth Cox, uh, for an opportunity to you know speak my my truth and and be able to talk about what I love, and that's the Arizona Cardinals on this platform. Uh, when you and I first put together this podcast in, in 2016, we did it for for fun and because we genuinely enjoyed this team and covering this team. And I would never have expected it to, you know, culminate to, to what it's become. And I'm, I'm very proud of that as I know you are Blake and, and being able to have it be the, the featured podcast of what I think is, is the best Arizona Cardinal website, revenge of the The coverage I think is unparalleled. Um, I, you know, I feel very fortunate to, to have my, my work on the website and, uh, and have, done this podcast only almost on a weekly basis sometimes uh bi-weekly w- with you it's it's been a true pleasure you're a true pro um yes i i, I am taking on uh, a new venture that i'm very much excited about can't reveal more than that today just know i'm still going to be covering the cardinals um just uh different capacity uh, at a different place but uh, all the love to my comrades here at revengeofthebirds.com and you know hopefully down the line we can do some uh, some collaboration, but um, be sure to check out RevengeOfTheBirds.com and the ROTB podcast. Moving forward, I know I'll be listening, Blake. Yeah, it's been a long time, John. There's some of the great hits I know we've had over the year. Living through the Kyler Murray craze, having the 2018 class where the Cardinals traded up for Josh Rosen, all of the different takes. I think that was probably part of what launched you a little bit more into the Cardinals community sphere in a lot of different ways for the most part. And we saw an account change as a result through all of that. We've seen, I know, the questions of the Nick Bosa and Quinn Williams being completely wrong. We've talked at least and seen a lot of good hits as well, too, obviously with Marcus Golden returning to the Arizona Cardinals, being able to see a lot of that changes over the years. Um, Just a lot of avenues, at least, of being able to break down this franchise as it has struggled to essentially find a quarterback that seemingly being kind of this journey that we've been on of, you know, developing our own takes, developing our own flair for the show while the Cardinals have been, you know, still kind of stumbling toward theirs. Hopefully it will be able to pay off in a way for the Cardinals, uh, just like it is going to be for you. I'm excited to see what 
the future holds for you as well, John. Uh, it's going to be at least a blast, I know, for listeners wherever you go. Yeah, pay attention to John's, uh, I believe, his Twitter account over the next uh, couple of weeks for the most part, at least, if not even that, to find out more about what he'll be doing next. Uh, you'll be able to catch more content as well with us on revengeofthebirds.com as far as we'll still continue, obviously, bringing you your complete cards coverage everywhere we go. Well, that will wrap it us for us today. John, anything you'd like to say to our listeners as kind of the last show as a final like little send-off, at least for the most part, obviously? Obviously, this is a, still a clean show, so it's not like you can just say whatever you want, but anything you want to kind of send off, at least for the most part, as far as for that and, you know, the rest of the legacy of being one of the founding ROTB pod members. Hey, I appreciate it. You and I, again, built this thing from scratch, so if you have a passion for this, I know, Blake, you know, people reach out to us, which we're humbled by, how to start something like this, how to be a part of this, um, but my best advice is do it yourself. Find an avenue find something you're passionate about and own it and develop it your way, the way you feel like you'd like to hear it uh, and, and just go from there. It, it, it does not take a village to put together what we do, just a couple committed people. So with that being said, it's been an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much. Follow me at Johnny Venerable and I'll, I'll see you guys around. Thanks so much.